Okay, so we are in session four, calling this part two of session four, so don't get confused by the the numbers there. It's actually our fifth our fifth lesson, if you will, but we're still in session four. I'm going to finish this up. We're in the process of dating. And uh, the goal of this session is to explore how a relationship, a dating relationship, actually starts and then progresses to marriage um, in, a, in a healthy way. So, like we said, the Bible really doesn't give us a pathway for this. It just talks a lot about singleness. It talks a lot about marriage and just assumes that you're going to get there. And you should get there in a way that, that brings honor and glory to Christ. And the Bible hasn't left us without a helpful, helpful principles that are sufficient to guide us in this. And that's really the, the key fundamental truth of our, of our series. So we're looking at this process. And, um, initially we, last week we reminded ourselves of, of the goal of the dating process. So why do we date, right? We, and we just said we want God to be glorified as we test companionship for marriage. That's the reason. So testing companionship, trying to see if this person would be a, a, a suitable companion. And we want to do that. As we do that, we want God to be glorified in this process with the way that we treat the other person, with the way that we interact in the body, uh, with the humility that we come at this relationship with. And so we believe, because God promises this, that if if we honor Him and trust Him, it's our joy. This is, this is going to be ultimate joy um, at, the, at the back end of this process. And so uh, rather than going the worldly route or trying to, you know, kind of treat dating as like a an equation, X plus Y equals marriage and it's guaranteed, we want to just be humble before the Lord and saying, okay, however we're doing this, we want God to be glorified and, and um, we want to test companionship for marriage. So that's our goal. And that helps us now as we think about the process. So how are we going to approach, how are we going to approach the, the pathway to that goal? So just we put that back in our minds. The second question we looked at two weeks ago was what what our grid system should should be as we navigate this process. So, in other words, how should we be thinking through, you know, as a lens? What 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 should be our lens as we're walking through this process? So there's a lot of little choices that you're going to make as you date, and it'd be kind of foolish for us to kind of talk about each of those little choices and not give you the grid system. So very similar to, to the goal here, but a little more fleshed out. Is Christ pleased by what we're doing or not doing? And so you can just ask yourself that question as you're, you're working through your dating relationship. What do our authorities, our spiritual authorities, so people that have been given authority over us, uh, parents for most of you, pastors for all of you, disciples for all of you. And so what do our authorities think about what we're doing or not doing? Uh, remember the tendency, the sinful tendency in dating is to isolate. Um, and, you, and if that's in your heart, you got to ask why. Why do I want to isolate? What is the what's the goal of that? What, what's motivating that? So we want to we want to bring in our spiritual authorities and see how they're how they're thinking through our dating relationship, and also um, any wisdom that they would have for us as we as we navigate it, because we want to please Christ. That's our goal. And then last, you know, kind of a last grid system piece, uh, quadrant. Okay. That was lame. Yeah, I see some of the engineers are like, what are you talking about? Okay. The last one is what are you, what, is what you're doing or not doing beneficial to the spiritual growth of the other? 
Is what you're doing or not doing beneficial to the spiritual growth of the other? Again, it's just putting the good of others from Philippians 2 and other passages, the good of your, of your boyfriend and girlfriend at the, at the forefront here, not making it about you. So this is a lens grid that we want to be thinking through as we're, as we're approaching a lot of the little decisions that we're making in, in a dating relationship. And then we spent most of our time two weeks ago talking about uh, how to navigate the various stages of this dating process. And so I'm just going to briefly review the, the first three stages that we covered last time. And then today I'll spend most of my time uh, in the last two stages of engagement and early marriage. So you remember the stages? They're pretty self-explanatory. The first one was friendship. The first one was friendship. So it's that's how we should be relating as members in the body, as biblical friends, discipling one another, investing in each other's lives as friends, as uh, I call it familial friendship. Uh, from First Timothy, he talks about treating each other like family. And so you don't ignore your family because you're paranoid, but you don't flirt with your family either. And so, you know, there's, there's this middle ground of, of, of genuine love that we should be expressing to one another. And, and guys and girls should be developing biblical friendships. Um, there's a lot more we could talk about with that, but we should be friends in the body, familial friends. And then out of that will inevitably spring, as the Lord ordains it, some relationships. And you don't have to have a friendship first. I mean, it can be a blind date, whatever. Those those things happen. Totally fine. But generally speaking, out of a friendship kind of blooms uh, interest, what we called um, just this next phase of of interest. So one person's interested, usually both people. And so you kind of do this awkward dance to try to figure this out. Uh, So we talked about the guys initiating that and needing just to be clear about, hey, you know, I'm interested in you. Would you be willing to go out? We could talk about that. And girls, we said, hey, you know, if the guy's going to lay it on the line like that, at least give him an honest answer. Okay, don't don't beat around the bush and don't lead him on. And but and he's not asking you to marry him. It's just it's just a, a date or just to hang out, to get to know each other. So we talked about this sort of exploring interests and and the dynamics of that last week or two weeks ago. And then that led into exclusivity, the stage of what I'm calling exclusivity, dating, courting, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm just, what I'm trying to draw out of this is there's a, a mutual exclusiveness to the dating relationship. Meaning, out of love for the other person, you're not surveying the field. Uh, you're kind of saying, okay, where is this going to go? And I'm committed to this, this particular person for this, this indefinite period of time where we're trying to figure this out. We're not, we're not playing the field. We're not looking at each, you know, looking at other people while we're also dating, courting, whatever. So I think that's a that's a principle that an implication out of love there. And if you missed that last week, that's really the the core of this series. And probably when I said dating series, all your questions that you thought about were in that that little that little portion right there. So uh, go back, listen to that one. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna go back through that stage. So as as you're dating, as, as trust is being built and you're working through a lot of the significant areas, then, you know, obviously, inevitably, attention, as it should, turns to what needs to happen in order to, to, to make it to the next phase, this engagement stage, which is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Engagement. So, 
as I was thinking through just what to talk about, you know, there's obviously a lot of things we could talk about in this engagement stage. So I'm sort of presupposing everything I said in the exclusive stage about purity and those kinds of things and just deferring that, waiting till marriage. And so just sort of backfill all that into the engagement. So I'm, I'm going to get a little more practical in the engagement side, um, in the marriage side today. And so the really the first topic under engagement that I want us to think about is just how to think through well, how to think through getting engaged. And I'm don't worry guys, I'm not going to give you the the, the ten step. Hey, here's here's how you should do it. Uh, that's up to you. Um, but just really the the first the first thing is like okay, how do we know? How do we how can we navigate going from dating to engagement? When are we when are we ready to do that? Um, I just say, determine what questions still need to be answered and work through them. Determine what questions still need to be answered. So, inevitably, you've spent a lot of time together as, you're, as you've been dating. And you've asked and answered and gotten to know them. Hopefully, that's the goal. You're not just staring into each other's eyes. You're actually communicating, talking, having shared experiences, and you're learning about each other. And so, there's a lot of things that you've talked about already. But there is, there are probably some things that you, maybe you haven't talked about. Maybe things that are, that need a little bit more commitment or a little more seriousness to talk about. Maybe past sin. Some of those kinds of things that you need to, to bring out into the forefront that may impact your marriage. So, um, if you want to know, uh, just a helpful resource at sort of at this stage when you're wondering, should we get engaged? Should we not? This little, it's a really a pamphlet, um, a booklet by David Powelson. And this pastor, John, I don't know how to say his last name, Yinchero, they worked together and, and just put together five questions. Now, they're, don't be fooled. These five questions are, are pretty intense questions to, to talk through, so it takes you a little while to talk through them. But it's a really helpful resource for, uh, and it's just called Pre-Engagement, Five Questions to Ask. And that will kind of give you some guided, guided help. And if you want some insight there, I mean, obviously, I'm going to say this over and over again, but just talk to your pastors, talk to your disciplers, talk to the people that, that know you best. They can help you determine what things you need to talk through, what things you don't, um, kind of at this, at this stage. Which kind of leads me into the second, I don't know, bit of advice I would give you, which is talk to your spiritual authorities. Um, they can affirm the wisdom of this decision, and they should. So if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't want to go forward until I knew that my pastors and my parents are Christians, you know, my parents were at least okay with this idea. Now, I understand with parents, it's always, that's, that can be a little bit dicey sometimes because they might not be the same theologically or there might be a, a number of issues that could complicate um, the parents' perspective in a, a potential marriage. But on the whole, I think if you have Christian parents, you definitely want their their buy-in there. And so, as you're, as you're exploring this, as you're kind of talking with your boyfriend or girlfriend about the potential of this, definitely talk to your parents and to your, your elders, your pastors, your disciples about making this decision. And really be humble enough to hear their, to hear their insight. And then the last thing I would say is if once those things are kind of a go, you know, guys, do the thing. Talk to the dad. Go ahead, that's my advice, and you'll hear more about hear more from Rich on this from the dad's perspective. So it'll be really helpful. But fathers have invested their lives into their daughters. And same with their sons. 
But it's a different dynamic with the daughter. And so fathers have invested tons of time, spiritual energy into that. And if they're in the home, the daughters are in the home, there's still, there's still a level of authority there um, from the father to the daughter. And so, guys, you need to, you need to talk to the dad, and, and Rich will flesh that out a little bit more next week, I hope. That's one of the questions I'm going to tee up for him, um, is just, what are we thinking about in that? Is it ble- is that, are you looking for a blessing? Are you looking for permission? What are, what are the things that you're looking for in that? So, um, but just, it's always a good idea to, for, the, for the guy to talk to the dad even if it doesn't go well. So um, so those are some just initial things I would say about, about getting engaged. And there's really, if you want to boil it down to one thing I would, I would want to say, if you forget everything else we're going to talk about today, here's the one thing I want you to walk away with. What is the main thing to remember when I'm engaged? Is this. You're not married yet. Okay. Period. You're just not married yet. So, just make sure that came up. That would have been awkward if it didn't. So, you're, it's, that's not, you're not married. Everything in you feels like you're married. You've, you've, I remember the feeling very vividly. When I popped the question to Mary, it was like, well, that just happened. Like, now we're engaged. So, we're just waiting on a ceremony, right? So, there's all these, you know, you've committed to one another. Everything's happened. And so, the temptation really increases as the commitment increases. And there's a, a, a particular lie that you're tempted to believe in this, this phase, and it's, it goes like this. You're as good as married anyway, so what's the risk in going a little further? I mean, that is, that is the temptation. And everybody will tell you, all the married couples will tell you, that temptation escalates during the engagement phase to, for physical impurity. So, that's got to be on your radar, and you have to double up um, you have to double up the, the vigilance in your heart to remind yourself that you're not married yet, to treat her as your sister with all purity. And so, especially the guys, I mean the girls too, obviously there's, 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 there can be carryover in these temptations, but with the guys, you'll need to discipline your thinking not to fantasize over those benefits you're going to get in marriage. You know what I'm talking about. The benefits you're going to get in marriage once you cross that threshold, you, it's, you gotta be disciplined. You gotta be cultivating discipline, self-control before that, but this is really where you're gonna need it. Because there are gonna be all sorts of other portals that are gonna tempt you to gratify those desires if you, if you don't. And so that's really the main thing you need to remember is you're not, you're not married yet. Almost, but not yet. And so, at least, this leads us to another category that I wanna talk about in this phase of engagement, which is premarital counseling. Premarital counseling. That's just. I'm curious. Is this is that a new idea for any of you? Or is that pretty standard? Like from growing up, that's what you've heard about. Okay. So premarital counseling um, is just essentially some intentional set aside time to prepare yourselves for marriage. And you know, as pastors, we know, and all the married people know that a lot changes after you you get married. You start living together, you, your lives are, are coming together now, you're forming a new family unit, new nucleus. And as shepherds, we want to make sure that you're as prepared as you can be for that new phase. And so that's why we do premarital. Another benefit of, of premarital is that it helps you interpret the things that are happening to you after you're married. 
so I guess the, the way I put it is that the truths that you learned in premarital that are cemented, hopefully you already know them, but are cemented in premarital, become like a baseline for you in marriage. So I've seen this happen. As you come back to the, the truths that you learn in those sessions and you as you apply them to new situations in the day in and day out married life. So, you know, I've had I've had some experiences where, you know, we did a premarital and then they would come back to us and they would say, Now what was what chapter was that again that we learned about X because they're experiencing whatever, a particular conflict and what were those principles again? And so they knew they were there, you know, and it's like, okay, we gotta go back to those and really really walk in those those principles. So I've just seen a lot, a lot of fruit. Um, from the premarital process. And one little thing I would say here is if slash when you get engaged, before you start, you know, it's like, especially the ladies just want to get going with the wedding planning. Before you do that, get started with your premarital counseling. Um, now, why would I say that? Well, because your pastors and your elders, if you haven't included them at close range yet, Premarital is a close-range interaction. You know, you start talking, you start talking about issues. And if, if your pastors are seeing things and they're saying, whoa, you know, these, these are significant issues that are going to cause you a ton of trouble in marriage, and we need to get, we need to get these down, um, typically it's a lot harder to do that once dates are set, down payments are paid, you know, dresses are bought, all those kinds of things, plane tickets. So it just... If you can get started in that premarital earlier in that process, not before you get engaged, obviously, but just just earlier in the process, before you start making setting things in stone, um, it's just a lot easier to sort of maybe postpone a date if that is necessary. Now that's rare, but if it is necessary, um, that's what's got to happen. So just think about it. I know you think about it from your perspective. Think about it from the pastoral perspective. So if I'm marrying somebody. What's happening there is I am essentially saying I bless and endorse this marriage from what I've seen in my counsel. I believe this is going to be something that's going to glorify God and is the best thing for these two people. That's why that's that's and I'm going to have to stand before God and tell him that on that final day. And so if I'm counseling you and, and there's something that comes up that is significant. Now, I'm not talking about the day in, day out sin. And, and sometimes you're going to think more times than not, people come to me concerned. And I'm like, look. This is just part of what it means to be in a relationship, and you've got to work that out, you know, in marriage. But if it's significant, I, my conscience is on the line. And so it's a lot easier, it's a lot more conducive for you if, if you're starting this process earlier and we can kind of get some of these things settled from an earlier standpoint. So there's no foolproof way to do that, but it'll save you a lot of, um, I think it's just wiser to do it that way, if that makes sense. So, um, that's kind of the gist of, of some of those initial thoughts about premarital. So, how do we go about it? What's the process? Well, there's an initial assessment meeting uh, by our counseling director, Mark Hager. So, you get engaged, you're interested in premarital, you contact the office, and we have a counseling center, and then we kind of funnel you to him. And then you would sit down and just do an initial assessment with him about marriage and background and all that stuff. And then after that assessment, he'll, that's just, it's helpful for him to know because he's got tons of experience and he can sort of identify some issues. Then you'll be paired with, um, based on your choice and sort of the availability of the pastor, you'll be paired with one of the pastors. Typically it's whichever pastor's in your shepherding group and is doing your wedding. 
So they do the premarital for you. And we all do the same resource. We use a book by uh, Rob Green. I think I've got it up here. Uh, yeah, Tying the Knot. It's not super thick. You know, some premarital resources out there are, you know, like a tome. And you probably know the ones I'm talking about. They're really helpful, but it, you got to kind of do it over a two-year period. Um, most people aren't, don't have that, and we would not advocate long engagements if at all possible. So this one takes about eight weeks to work through, but we like to have at least about about ten weeks in this in this process. But everybody goes through the same core. We call this sort of our core curriculum, tying the knot, and it goes through things like. Um, having Christ as the center of your marriage and really what does it look like to worship Christ in your marriage and not fall prey to some other idolatries? And that's just super helpful, kind of the, the baseline. And then out of that, he talks about what it looks like to love your spouse sacrificially, um, how to work through conflict and speak honestly to each other about those things, um, intimacy, how to think through money and finances and stewardship. And I, one, one thing I love is he talks about church involvement and how to think through that as a young married couple, which I th- is, is actually, sadly, missing from a lot of premarital resources. And so, man, I, I just, I love that. So, you know, we've, we were kind of reviewing a bunch of different ones, and we kind of all settled on, we like tying the knot because it was simpler and um, easier to work through. But that doesn't mean that's all you would work through. So as we're, as we're talking, if, if we think, okay, man, you need particular training and maybe some conflict resolution, we might assign another particular assignments for you to to work through with that particular item or whatever it is. So we want you to be as equipped as you can be um, in as you enter into marriage. So each of the pastors may recommend some supplemental reading based on the couple's particular needs. And I typically throw a lot of books at people. I'm like, hey, here you go. Just read them on your own time, but these are these are good. So if you don't want to be overwhelmed, don't ask me to do your premarital. Just kidding. I'll try not to overwhelm you. Um, I just actually really enjoy it. Uh, it's it's super fun. I know I'm, it's, we're still in the young married phase, I think. So, but it's it's really really fun. I, I enjoy it. It's very sanctifying both both ways. I mean, um, just rehearsing the the truths of marriage and and how we're to to pursue that with each other is so so helpful for my own marriage. So I, I really love doing them. So that's a little bit about uh, premarital. Counseling, and, and the last thing I want to talk about in engagement is uh, wedding planning. Oh yes, the fun stuff. Preparing for a wedding. I'm not going to get into details, but I, I do want to guide your thinking in a few few little areas. Number one, the pressure is good. Okay. The pressure is good. Now, what do I mean by that? Some of the girls are like, "What are you talking about? The pressure is good." The stress of wedding planning is a good thing for you because guess what? Your circumstances don't cause your sin. Okay? Your circumstances are not the cause of your sin. It feels like that. Somebody sins against me, I get angry, you made me mad. Right? Isn't that what we say? That's not true. The pressure of the circumstance revealed the sin in my heart. And so the fact of the pre- the man, the, the wedding planning can be like a pressure cooker. Okay, and I've seen it, I've experienced it, and a lot of things start popping out, stress between the, the, you know, the engaged couples and all kinds of things. And it's so helpful because it gives you a lot of stuff to work with in premarital counseling. 
So it's really, really good. I mean, I'm serious. Like, it's, it's a very, very helpful. So don't be like freaked out about the stress and the pressure of wedding planning. It can be your friend if you let it. And, and it, or your, maybe your teacher. And that's a better way to put it. It could be your teacher. The pressure of the what? Now, I'm not talking about anxiety. I'm talking about stress simply as pressure. Pressure from circumstances. Deadlines. Um, so, as you're planning a wedding, don't be afraid of the stress. It's good. Pressure is good for you. Because it helps you work through things. Second thing I'd say is just don't idolize the day. Um, the wedding day. And if, if you put all your hope here, then you're going to dishonor Christ. You're going to make unwise decisions. You're going to spend a way more money than is is probably helpful. And then, you know, you're going to to be discontent ultimately because there's always could have been something better that you could have had and made it more special, more significant. Now, I'm not telling you how to spend your money in a wedding. That's not my role. But what I am saying is don't idolize it. Look for those signs if you're if you're idolizing that day and thinking this this is the best day ever for me and it's if it's everything's coming back to you as sort of self focus and you're getting angry with people and you're you're discontent and you're you're anxious and all those kinds of things there's probably some some idols that are going on there and that's not I mean I would be surprised if it wasn't if you weren't tempted toward that and so we've got to be working working that out you know in in our in our own hearts so don't idolize the day instead worship Christ. And if you seek to please him on your wedding day, you'll actually enjoy that day. And I've seen that a ton. You know, just it's sweet when you see the husband and, and the wife or the, the bride and the groom. They're just trusting Christ. And maybe some details aren't, aren't coming together like they like they had hoped, but they're actually enjoying the day. And, and then as a byproduct, everyone else will too. <laughs> everyone else will enjoy the day. And the day should be about Christ anyway, because He created your marriage. He created marriage in general. He ordained the fact that you two came together. And He is, He is blessing this, this day anyway as you, as you do it. So, it should be about Him, and He's gonna sustain your, your marriage, and He's, He's gonna walk with you in it. So, uh, we should really wanna magnify Him in this, in this day, and give Him thanks for, for what He's done. And one little word about vows. Okay, and this has happened as I've sort of reflected on vows a little bit more. Think really hard before you make the decision to write your own vows. Okay, so think really hard. I'm not saying don't write your own vows. I'm just saying think hard about it. Because the traditional vows are time-tested and they're mature vows. So one thing I think is, is interesting is when a couple young people get together and they, they write what they think they want to promise each other in marriage, typically with a not a very deep view of marriage, versus historical vows that are very deep and very important that you're going to keep coming back to you over and over and over again. So if you write your own vows, which Mary and I did, so we did that. If you write your own vows, make them more robust biblically than the traditional ones. Does that make sense? So make them more intense. Bring in more scriptures than the traditional vows. Incorporate the traditional vows into your, into your vows. Because a vow is just a promise. A promise that you're making, and, and the wedding is a covenant ceremony. So you're coming together, and you're covenanting with your, spouse, with your partner before the congregation and before God um, of these things that you're going to commit to 
in a, in a marriage. And so those promises that you make are, are probably some of the most significant things you'll ever say to another person. And it's beautiful. It's, it's incredible. And, they're, but it, and if you do it right, they're things you can come back to year after year after year because they're based in Scripture. And they're, they're based in what, what would please Christ. And it can be sort of a baseline to sort of say, how are we doing in marriage? How are we doing in keeping these promises that we made to each other? And uh, that can be really, really helpful and significant. So, again, don't mishear me. I'm not saying don't write your own vows, because that's super popular today. Everybody's writing their own vows. But just take that into, into, into consideration here. And that's all I'm going to say about planning a wedding. All right, so let's talk about marriage for a minute. <clears throat> In a quick minute. So, how should we... Um, Think about marriage. What should we focus on in the in the married stage? Now I'm going to go through these kind of kind of quickly, and I'm talking about early marriage here. So I'm not. This is not some big because we're not past that phase. Uh, but just what what could you build on? What are things that you're trying to focus on in this this newly married stage? I would say building spiritual intimacy and unity. Building spiritual intimacy and unity, and that's probably the the biggest thing in this in this list that I'm about to give you. That means you learn how to understand each other, you learn how to truly talk honestly with each other, draw each other out, listen to each other, ask good questions. You learn how to share what Christ is doing in your lives with each other, and to you you figure out how to learn about Him together. And it's, it can be awkward at times, but you're you're working that through. You're learning how to confess particular sins to each other and pray for each other. You're learning how to counsel each other. And that's all building spiritual intimacy and unity. And Satan will attack that. And your flesh doesn't want to to cultivate that because as guys, you have to humble yourself. As guys, you have to initiate that a lot of the time. And because that's your role. And and ladies, you know, there's, there's, there's fears and temptations in that too as well. And so the spiritual intimacy will be attacked by Satan because that brings unity in a marriage and when there's unity the Lord does great things for the sake of the kingdom in a marriage and so uh, that would be the one thing is start building spiritual intimacy and unity and if you don't know how to do that or you're, you want to see that modeled again have a mentor couple that are right there beside you one of your pastors one of your one of the elders here one of the boundless leaders bring somebody along beside you that can that can help model that for you and it's a two-way street because then the people that are trying to model that are saying, okay, we need to shore that area up and we need to do this. And so um, it's, it's really helpful. All right, so another thing that you want to really get after is practicing the roles of husband and wife. So as the husband, you're, you're learning to initiate. Now you're going to have a lot of insecurities. You're going to have to face with that. A lot of potential to make wrong decisions and have to own those. And nobody likes that. And so, but as a husband, we've got to start practicing this initiating role, uh, which is which is the self-sacrificing initiating role. And as the as the wife, she needs to start practicing the the kind of encourager role, the the counselor role, and then ultimately the following role and the helping role. And so, be talking through how those things are going to flesh out. And your premarital would really really spend some time talking through that. But you got to practice that. You can't just learn about it. You got to actually do it. Um, another thing I would say is investing in the body of Christ, and that's pretty self-explanatory. Establishing healthy, long-term routines is another thing. What you start early in marriage, you typically keep doing. You're, you're establishing routines early, 
And so you want to make sure that these are healthy, healthy things that you're establishing. And I would just say pursue post-marital counseling, i.e. discipleship, which sometimes is, I think, more beneficial than premarital counseling because you're actually now in it and you're trying to work the angles and figure out how to love this other person. So those are some things you would focus on. Um, again, I'll have this all in a, in a PDF for you at some point. But what are some particular temptations of, of the newly married stage? Well, slacking off from pursuing Christ is one. Because you think, and this, is, this reveals something deeper, but here's what happens. Is you think, okay, I've got the girl, I've got the guy. You know, now it's, it's done. Now I've, now I've gotten what I want, and I'm going to slack off spiritually. Um, and that reveals something deeper, which is probably an idolatry of marriage. But that's just, I just want to make you aware that's a temptation. And if you see that in your, in your heart and your life, then we need to talk about it. Uh, another temptation is withdrawing from church life into one another. Like, I'm newly married, therefore I don't need to serve, I don't need to be involved, I don't need to come to the, all the services, I don't need to do, I need to spend time with my wife or my husband. Now, I would definitely advocate, yes, that first year of marriage, you need to be investing heavily in each other because you're doing a lot of learning. But that should not lead you away from the church, if that makes sense. So I'm not saying be overcommitted in the church, but you should be at some level investing in the body of Christ as a newly, newly married couple and not withdrawing from church life into each other. Here's another thing I would say, and this, I would say ex- that you, there's a temptation to exalt sexual intimacy over spiritual intimacy. Because, obviously, the, the sexual side is new, it's exciting, and it should be. And it's a, it's a gift from the Lord. And those things are good, should be celebrated. But we exalt that over spiritual intimacy. So, we shouldn't do that because, actually, spiritual intimacy leads to emotional and sexual intimacy. And they work together. That's the way the Lord has designed this thing to, to work. And so, we don't want to idolize sex and, and physical pleasure and pursue that over spiritual intimacy. Another thing I would say, and this needs to be ferreted out more, but not fully leaving and cleaving. Uh, you stay too connected to the family unit, your, your previous family units. And so, you know, your decision making is impacted, maybe even directed by your family, your parents, how you spend your time, where you get your counsel. Uh, you know, typically sometimes the husbands might be a little too attached to mom and there's, there will be conflict there. With, the, with his new wife, or the wife may find a lot of her companionship and her, her siblings if she's close with them and maybe not her husband. And so you've got to learn not that you neglect those things, but how to leave and cleave with your, with your new wife or your new husband. And so, again, I could just say this, this could be ferreted out more and, and is and is ferreted out in premarital, but uh, this is a, a, big, a big problem that we often see. Another thing I would say is just sometimes, oftentimes we maintain unrealistic or naive expectations for your spouse in the marriage. So those haven't really been confronted. We try to confront those in premarital, but sometimes some slip through the radar. So you've got these expectations that you bring to marriage and they're not being fulfilled. And that happens a couple times in a row and there's major problems because you always thought your marriage was going to be like this, you know, or and vice versa. And so, you know, maintaining unrealistic expectations can cause some, some serious problems and is, is a very big temptation uh, for newlyweds. 
And then as a result of that, not repenting of the bitterness and not extending true forgiveness to your spouse. And that is just exactly where Satan wants you, is just early in marriage, growing in bitterness, growing in resentment, not really extending forgiveness, and then he just starts to drive you apart. And unity is affected, and ultimately he knows the kingdom of God is affected by the disunity in your in your marriage. And so, last thing I'll say here, real quick, I know we're out of time, but how, do, how should we think about marriage, putting it all together? I would say, avoid the extremes. You hear from some people, marriage is really, really hard. No fun. You know, it's just all work. Ball and chain. Yada, yada, yada. And that's just unbiblical. Okay? So just rebuke those people whenever they, they say that. But then you hear on the other side that marriage is all fun, no work, right? Like, oh, wow, this is, is going to be great. We're just going to walk through life together. We've got a soulmate. No, 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 no. It's going to be great. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's embrace the biblical vision. That's really the, the thing I want to say. Embrace the biblical vision. So what is that? Well, God created marriage. So marriage is created by a good God, and it's, it's created for our good. So it's a gift, and it's for His glory and our joy. And those things work right, work together. But marriage will require humility and death to self as we learn to trust and obey Christ in our marriage. So it's for our joy, but will require death to yourself. And all the married people say, Amen. But the paradox, this is like a little microcosm of the Christian life. The paradox of this death is that it results in fruit and growth. And the growth and fruit lead to more intimacy in your marriage, more companionship, more friendship, and more glory to God, more joy, more peace, more fruit of the Spirit. And so that's the paradox of marriage and of the Christian life, is that as you die in trust and obedience to Christ, fruit is produced and more joy is the result of that. Because we're, we're prone to sin, right? We're prone to sin. If we weren't sinners, then marriage would be very easy um, and very, very yeah, no conflicts, because we would we would want the we would inherently want the best for the other all the time. And so that's that's kind of how how we're going to end our our dating series here with just thinking through those those stages. And if you're overwhelmed in any capacity, I just want to encourage you with this final takeaway: our humility before Christ and our growth in Christ are the ingredients to a healthy dating relationship and marriage. Our humility before Christ and our growth in Christ are the ingredients to a healthy dating relationship and marriage. Remember that. The one thing. Okay? And bring along people to help you. Because it's not, you don't do it in isolation. So the Lord will be glorified and, and you'll be happy as a result of that. So let's pray.